Hello again, and welcome back to my podcast, Hear Me Out, Pesticide Safety and Environmental Education. Today, I'm going to be joined with some folks that I met at the APSI conference. They're from the University of Nebraska, here to talk about their state and their pesticide safety education program. Um, so I am Jennifer Weisbode, and I am the Pesticide Safety Education Program Coordinator for the state of Nebraska, and I've been in my role for about a year and a half, almost two years at this point. Um, so I basically lead the program and kind of develop most of the materials and work with my team to develop materials. Um, my name is Greg Puckett. Um, I'm an extension associate with the program. I, I'm in the my sixth year with the program. and so excited to be here. Nice. Yeah, Greg does a lot of the manuals and legal updates to our materials. So he, he didn't yeah. brag about that, but it's something he works really hard on. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time to meet with me. Um, first question is, what is Nebraska's PSEP program currently working on? Yeah, so we do have quite a few projects we're working on. One of the big ones we're working on is trying to get more availability for respirator fit testing. We recognized that we had people in our state that needed it, but there wasn't really a lot of opportunities for them to get a fit test for a respirator. So actually in about three weeks, we're gonna be going to a large event called Husker Harvest Days, and we're planning to provide respirator fit testing for our farmers, but in general, anyone that needs a fit test. So that's a really big project we're working on and one that we're really passionate about. Uh, we're also working on creating an online Spanish private pesticide safety training program so that any of our Spanish speaking individuals can get their private applicator license through that online training. Um, and of course, Greg has also helped work on creating some Spanish written materials that we just give out to the public as well and that are available online. We've been trying to push a little bit more of the consumer public outreach component as well. There's a lot of disconnect between pesticides, pesticide safety and the general public. So we've been attending outreach events and at some point we're planning to develop an online short free course for the general public on pesticide safety. Um, Greg's kind of working on a specific project on chemical incompatibility issues, tank mixing, jar tests. They're working on a Neb guide right now. Um, and then we're also working on a licensing course with our university students. So that's kind of a, a big one that's going to take some energy from quite a few collaborators. Yeah, we actually just launched our new like consumer homeowner pesticide safety education program. We really saw the big disconnect between just agricultural folks and the general public and people who may use pesticides in their everyday lives without realizing their pesticides. That's awesome. I would love to see that. Um, it always makes me think of the Aldo Leopold quote from Sand County Almanac uh, about the danger of never having lived in a farm on a farm is that you don't know where your food comes from and you don't know where your heat comes from. And I do think that's kind of a, a current disconnect we have going on um, with agriculture. Yeah, definitely can see that and relate to that. What are some of the main struggles in Nebraska regarding pesticide safety education? For example, um, one of ours is that our applicators want online programs, but we're having some issues with our Department of Agriculture to ensure like privacy and security and make sure, you know, the actual person is taking the exam or workshop. Yeah, we, we uh, worked through some of those same issues in Nebraska over the past few years and, uh, with the updated 
certification regulations that kind of came more into play there. We've, we've been trying to expand our online offerings as well. And one of our struggles, I guess, more for uh, maybe for the applicators is that not everywhere has broadband internet access mm. in Nebraska still, um, a lot of rural areas. And so working around that is definitely a struggle. Our Department of Agriculture administers the pesticide laws here in Nebraska. They only have five pesticide inspectors to cover the entire state. We have like 30,000 applicators. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so that's definitely a struggle for them, less so for us, I guess, but making sure that everybody's doing the right things can be difficult when, when you don't have the, the resources to really mm-hmm. be doing all the inspections that you should. On the extension side, we're you know, struggling like many institutions are right now with understaffing and mm-hmm. um, turnover with staff members and our educators out there that are delivering a lot of our private applicator training. Um, and so those are those are a few of our struggles that we're dealing with. On top of that is that there is sometimes a lack of understanding of what PSEP is for and what pesticide safety is all about. So um, that's always a struggle to just kind of build that story of what's important about pesticide safety and why we do what we do. So falls back to what we were talking about earlier with the public. I think everyone kind of misunderstands the program. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of been my goal with my podcast, my blogs over the summer is trying to reach the public and reach people to, you know, educate them on these different pesticide safety education programs and that we're not trying to push people to buy pesticides. We're trying to, you know, promote safe use of pesticides. Right. Yeah. It's exactly the right answer. (laughs) Um, What kind of things works for your program and what doesn't online versus in person? And what did the applicators struggle with the most? Yeah. So we do kind of, we, we give them a ton of opportunities to get their training. So they can do workshops like our crop production clinics. They can do in-person training, um, which are shorter events. So those are all options. We also work with trade organizations to help them do their recertification training. Um, they can just take an exam if they prefer to just do the exam and not go to the training. Mm-hmm. And of course we have our online training. And as of Last time I checked, we had 777 go through our online private uh, training. Um, quite a few people went through, and we had about a 75% rate of those applicators saying that they will continue to use online in future years. So that was really great. And then our commercial training actually had about 90% of those folks. And we had over 500 go through commercial that they're going to go back through online. So online's been very popular with those who have tried it, and we've had a lot of really great success with it. And of course, Frank's not here, but Frank has made some really great interactive components to it. So it's a better learning experience than just sitting in a room and listening to someone talk at you. And it's been a little interesting with, uh, in kind of pre-COVID there, there was not an online option for commercial, mm-hmm. non-commercial applicators. And COVID kind of forced everybody's hands a little bit. And um, so it's opened up that really nice opportunity that a lot of them seem to really appreciate to be able to um, 
get recertified for their their license just from the comfort of their home or at work or wherever. So they've really appreciated that. Yeah. So we'll add that we do have a lot of veteran applicators. They've been in the program for 30 years and some of them don't have computers or don't want computers. So they really, really prefer that in-person option, which is why we try to give them as many opportunities as possible to get their license. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me about some of the common struggles your applicators face? So one of the things we've found from doing our program evaluations is that a lot of our applicators have concerns about the best way to use IPM or how to use IPM. And IPM is integrated pest management, which is using not just chemicals, but also preventative measures, cultural measures, mechanical measures. There's also quite a bit of confusion over label language. Labels are getting longer and more complicated. Mm -hmm. um, they're requiring people to understand soil science a little bit. So it's, it's become more of an issue with our applicators being able to read these 20 page long labels and understand yeah. them. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the biggest issues we have in Nebraska is we are one of the few states in the U.S. that does not have a hazardous waste disposal program. Oh. So I get calls from our applicators and it's it's really frustrating for them because they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying mm -hmm. to follow these guidelines, protect the environment by disposing of their waste properly. And there isn't an option. And the options that we do have are thousands of dollars. So mm. it's unfortunate and frustrating. Yeah, that's got to be hard to deal with. What about some of your successes? Some successes, on the other hand, for for our applicators, um, uh, we've been getting a lot more adoption of FieldWatch, um, which includes DriftWatch and all those different programs to help minimize drift damage from herbicides onto um, sensitive crops, uh, specialty crops, trees and all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. So that's been good to see that that's been um, being adopted more and more. Um, our applicators are really great at adopting other new and upcoming kind of application technology, um, like pulse width modulation and things like that, that can really, really make spraying down to a very exact science and it can, you know, um, just protect the environment that much more and save them money by, you know, not wasting product. Nebraska has a really cool um, on-farm research program that we do with uh, producers in our state. And so they can kind of volunteer to participate in, in university research studies, almost donate their land for the season so they can uh, get real world research findings out of that and uh, apply that in the future to their their production. So lastly, we have a, about a 30-year-old pesticide container recycling program in Nebraska. Uh, we do pretty good from year to year um, in terms of poundage of plastic that we uh, end up collecting. And so that's, that's really great um, that so many applicators participate in that program yeah. as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I was hmm. going to ask, like, how do you cope with some of your issues? Like, you know, not having hazardous waste and their program in place to deal with that. So that that's a thing that we've been trying really hard since I've started to find a solution. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, we do have companies that will go pick up hazardous waste. 
Uh, the unfortunate thing is it, like I said, it's thousands of dollars yeah. for some pickups. So right now I'm working with um, a business association, a farming business association. Um, I'm reaching out to some industry folks. We're looking for grants, trying to find a solution that's sustainable um, to try and get some of the leftovers picked up. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a struggle for those folks. I mean, like I said, I feel bad when they're trying to do the right thing and they just don't have access to the right tools. It sets them up for failure. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, hopefully that will be an issue that you're able to solve in the upcoming years. Yeah, we, we certainly hope so. <clears throat> we've we've had some discussions. Like I said, we're working on a few ideas, trying mm -hmm. to move forward and see where it goes. So. Okay. Well, also in the similar vein, what are your applicators' main needs? I know you kind of touched on needing like a multitude of ways to get the certification, you know, online and in person. We didn't have a lot on this one other than obviously a hazardous waste disposal program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but also it goes back to the internet situation. Access um, to resources is very difficult to get to some of these folks. And if you've ever looked at like the Verizon and T-Mobile map of coverage, there are huge pockets in Nebraska where there is no cell phone coverage. <laughs> so you can literally just not even have access with a cell phone. So um, that's, that's another struggle is those rural areas just don't have anything. It has to be a physical piece of paper for them. Mm. So it makes it hard for us to get material out about changes. Um, it's a struggle we run into, for example, with the recent change in chlorpyrifos for food mm -hmm. tolerances. We don't have an easy way to get to some of these people who don't have good internet access, unfortunately. So um, it's hard to get that material out there other than doing radio interviews and TV interviews and stuff like that yeah i guess maybe just to go along with that also we mentioned earlier the um labels getting longer and more complicated and so again not having ready access to finding out exactly what you need to know to use that product correctly mm -hmm. according to label can be a real challenge even if you you know do have the ability to reach out to Jennifer or someone. And I mean, it can still be a huge challenge. So over time, it's going to get even more and more complicated. And yeah. so that's definitely something that's on our radar. Mm -hmm. You know, on that note, it makes me think about the situation within list. Um, a lot of these people that don't have internet access are going to have issues with the enlist label because they don't have an easy way to look up mm. how to properly use that. Um, and this will be the first time they've seen some of these regulatory changes. So that that is an important thing to think about is those folks, and they they may not know where to go or, or how to access it. And there's online tools for being able to look at your soil type and understand that Enlist label better. But again, they don't have internet. They can't yeah. get to that. So yeah. something to consider. Yeah, about the labels, I was just at a regulatory conference for structural pest control and they labels was brought up a lot for like the regulatory, you know, it's hard when the label language is not very clear or concise or like consistent. Um, it's hard to like enforce that. And I'm sure the on the applicator side, it's hard to follow that, even if you're 
want to follow the label exactly how it says if it's the language is not easy to follow then applicators can't follow it so yeah exactly right well and this isn't an issue in nebraska but even then the label may not be the superior law so you even mm -hmm. have to know your state's regulations um so there are some states that will have a more stringent set of regulations that, than what's on the label and that gets very confusing as well in my opinion yeah for example there's wording on the label that says a licensed applicator or supervising. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know what I'm talking about with application? In Nebraska, you have to be licensed to apply restricted use product. So mm -hmm. that's confusing because that's not legal here. Um, but it says on the label you can, Yeah. but it's not legal. Yeah, that's yeah. a good example of one of the ones that I run into with people. Mm -hmm. Makes it very difficult for them. Yeah. I know we always say label is the law, but if there's a law above the label, then that's just... It supersedes yeah. the label. Yeah. Well, that's the, all I have for the background information on your on Nebraska's pesticide program. Now I kind of want to get into the philosophy behind this education. So I'd like to know, like, what is your approach to pesticide safety education? You know, I think it goes beyond just getting people certified to apply pesticides. So Nebraska has a mission that I think is kind of almost nationwide at this point but it's the idea that pesticide safety education programs are designed to reduce the quantity of use and toxicity of pesticides used, but also to promote safer, safer applications, to protect human health, to protect the environment, and to reduce costs for our farmers, businesses, and communities. So that is, in general, I believe, pretty much every state's mission when it comes to pesticide safety. We don't want to take away pesticides. We just we want to do a better job with it if we're going to use it. Um, so we don't want to lose these really valuable crop protection tools. We don't want to lose these tools to protect human health. Um, so really, we want to just promote the safest, best options when it comes to pest management. Yeah. Um, we also, in our state specifically, we have pulled historical data to try and promote a stronger view of the importance of pesticide safety. So we pull maps, heat maps of groundwater contamination. Um, we've pulled information on pesticide exposures per capita for Nebraska compared to other states. Uh, we pulled data from the Ag Health study to talk about, uh, for example, last year we pulled some information on pesticide residues and carpets in farm and non-farm homes. And that was mm. I think a really enlightening one, because I think a lot of people were surprised that even if you're not using pesticides in your home, there still may be residues in your home. Yeah. Um, and then we've also been working on some short videos on um, how to properly do jar tests. Uh, we have some videos on transfer of pesticide residues. So just short, lighthearted little videos to kind of explore some of these more difficult topics uh, surrounding pesticide safety. So yeah, I, I would add to that that, yeah, just with everything Jennifer just said, we are trying to really make an effort to bring it home to people in a mm -hmm. way that really matters to them. And it's not just some, you know, abstract concept, but it's, you know, real world. This is what they found in these homes that they tested for residues and things like that. And so just making it re as relevant as possible to people, I think. 
I think that's a good way to make get people to care about issues is to show them how it affects them. And yeah, yeah, <clears throat> we're actually thinking of trying to. I have a person in mind who had a very serious pesticide exposure, mm -hmm. um, and we're thinking of doing a short video on that person's experience and what happened and and how it changed their life. Um, because I think sometimes people think not me, but in reality, it, it very well could be you. Mm -hmm. you know? So it matters, even if you don't think it does. Yeah. yeah. A general question, like, why are you interested in this type of work? You know, you, do you have any passions that drives your work, your pesticide safety education? My background is natural resource management. And I researched pollinators, honeybees, mm -hmm. and pesticides. And I, a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh, she's anti-pesticides, which that, that's not the reality of it. Mm -hmm. Pesticides have a place. It can protect our environment. I always use the example of uh, the blue-green algae that can actually kill dogs and humans if they're exposed to it. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, you know, you don't want to be exposed to that so someone has to come along and apply some algicide and that's a pesticide and that's protecting the environment mm -hmm. uh, or ticks uh ticks is, uh, ticks and mosquitoes are another major example they carry a lot of very dangerous diseases and somebody goes out there and sprays a pesticide to help manage those so that your family can be safe and i tell people that in the public and i, I don't think they realize that that's that's what's happening. And I think they just don't understand how important pesticides can be. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, I also, Nebraska grows over 200 crops. And so we have to have a way to continue growing those crops to feed the nation. Uh, I'm sure you deal with this too. Um, we rely entirely on our farmers. So we have mm -hmm. to have crop protection tools in place for them to be able to continue growing food that we eat every day. So I think that's kind of my passion for it. Yeah. I, I would add that um, a lot of people from this part of the country probably um, are in a similar boat that, you know, their families before them, uh, you know, they come from families of farmers and ranchers and um, agriculturalists. And, um, but I myself am more of a city kid. Um, mm. just, you know, that's how it worked out. But so I, you know, I know family that are still in the agricultural sector and, um, here I am in the city. And so it's, I, I think it's a really great opportunity. PSEP is to, uh, bridge that gap of understanding between, um, the, the urban population of the country to, and the, the rural population and, um, you know, just trying to help the the people understand why why we use pesticides. Like Jennifer said, you know, we wouldn't have enough food to feed everybody if we didn't. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, making sure that we're using them responsibly and safely, and um, so that we can kind of allay those fears of of chemicals and things that you know can can get blown out of proportion but mm -hmm. you know, they they're rooted in justifiable uh concerns and so just bridging that gap and helping people understand that hey these these guys 
go through a lot of training. They are licensed by the state to use these these products. Our commercial applicators go through an entire day of training right. on pesticide mm-hmm. safety. So I, I don't think people always know how much time they spend learning. And they have to do that every three years. So it's just a, it's a lot of time and energy put into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our, our goal is to always share unbiased science. Yeah. So if something is risky, I'm going to tell you it's risky. I'm never going to give somebody a specific company recommendation. I just tell them the truth about the real science behind some of these things. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just kind of how I think most PCEPs operate is we're here to give honest answers that relay real science. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you're talking about goes back to, you know, that disconnect between the public and agriculture folks who are getting these full days of training. And, you know, people may see, you know, someone spraying pesticides outside of a hotel or at a right away and they don't have the knowledge or information. So they're concerned. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, Greg and I were just discussing how one of our goals as we continue to develop the program is to start adding in sections to our materials about having communication with the public when using pesticides. Um, Because the the people using them know why they're using them. They know the value of using them. And sometimes the public will come up and be kind of aggressive about the situation. So we kind of want to add in some stuff on how to interact with uh, a confrontational conversation and how to make that conversation turn into a positive experience and help yeah. both parties understand a little bit better. That that was something we just talked about. Yeah. Cause there's only so many of us <laughs> yeah. uh, to have those conversations and we're obviously never, we're never the ones that are out there getting, you know, someone sees a spring, a fence row or something no, that's not us. So we, yeah, we'd really like to equip our applicators to have those conversations successfully and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just kind of advocate for, yeah. for that. So. Yeah. I think that's an important component because it's, it's hard when you're out there trying to do your job and trying to do the right thing and people come up to you and are upset at you and angry at yeah. you for something that really might be more valuable than they recognize, you yeah. know? Definitely. Well, that kind of brings me into my next question of why people, why should people care about pesticide safety education? And now we've kind of talked, touched on this a bit. Well, like I mentioned earlier, it does safeguard the environment from misapplication, but it also can safeguard the environment with applications. So controlling things like blue-green algae, mosquitoes, ticks, or even invasive species. Pesticides do have a purpose in helping us manage some of those environmental situations where we have invasive species taking over landscapes and not allowing our native plants to thrive. Um, I also want to point out that pesticides are very highly regulated. In fact, our program exists because of these regulations. And those regulations are really important, even if they're frustrating, because they allow us to discover misuse of pesticides. They allow us to have a way to identify where things are going wrong with pesticide application and then step back and say, okay, we need to do something better in this situation. Um, They can be beneficial because they can inform the Department of Ag, um, the EPA on what we're seeing out in the field. 
it's it's a nice place because it protects the use of them to make sure they're being used safely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It can also protect our applicators. Right. The regulations help to protect our applicators when they're using the products correctly and safely. Um, somebody can try and accuse them of spraying a pesticide. And if it was not sprayed or it wasn't done the way that that person is trying to claim that that applicator sprayed it, Mm -hmm. uh, they have the laws on their side to support them if they did it correctly and safely. So Mm -hmm. that's a benefit to it. I do think that's important. I think people hate laws, but then they forget that laws are what also protects them and their business. Right. They they, they do protect both the, the applicators, the users, and the public mm-hmm. at the same time. And if we mm-hmm. didn't have those, I shudder to think where we would be really. I, mean, I don't know. Wild, wild uh, west <laughs> pesticide use. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. It really would be like going back 100 years. Yeah. Well, do you guys have anything else to add about your philosophy behind pesticide safety education before we move on? Read the label. <laughs> Yep. Especially the public. Yeah. Especially if you're you think it the label doesn't apply to you, it does. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a perfect segue to our next section of what why should applicators understand the label? Pesticide labels are they are considered legal documents and they're really based on um EPA's um risk assessments that they do. Um, of active ingredients and products before they approve them or reapprove them. Um, and so the, those assessments, you know, they, they're able to kind of figure out what environmental risks are going to go along with this pesticide being used in the ways that the registrant wants it to be used. And um, what are the ramifications for human health with these um, use patterns and the application rate that they want to be able to use and all these things. And so based on that information, they can find those risks and they can adjust the labels accordingly Mm -hmm. to minimize those risks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so thinking about it that way, um, why wouldn't you follow the label? And the label protects you again, falling back. And so, a lot of people put a lot of time into making that label just the way it is and getting it to, like we were just talking about, balance those interests of the user versus the safety of the public, the environment, balancing those things. And if you follow the label, you're going to be on that middle road and you're going to be balancing those things really, really pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that why another reason why you should read the label, even if you're just a homeowner spraying for spiders in your house, is that you are accountable for what that label says. Mm-hmm. So if you don't apply it the way the label says, you are accountable for anything that goes wrong and you can get fined or cited. Um, it's not just farmers. It's not just herbicides. It's it's anything that's considered a pesticide. You have to follow that label. Um because when you buy a product, you are essentially taking responsibility for that product's use. So I just I think the best thing you can do to safeguard yourself and your home, your environment, everything around you is to read the label. Yeah. Do you have any advice on how to read the label, especially for non-agricultural folks 
who, you know, don't get all the intensive training on labels? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> that you have to have the right label for what you're doing. So I think the very first most important thing is site. Legally, you can only apply it to sites that are listed on the label. So the very first thing you should do if you're going to use any pesticide, whether it's an herbicide in your backyard or an insecticide for your home, mm -hmm. you, you need to make sure it's approved for use in that site. So you can't just go out and buy seven dust and sprinkle it in your house because that's not legal yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't say indoor use. And preferably you, you should read that and figure that out while you're still in the store <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, before you actually buy something because otherwise yeah. you'll end up getting it home. Hopefully you'll still realize at some point that you can't use it where you wanted to and and then you're stuck with it until you can either use it for something else or uh, you take it to a hazardous waste collection day or something. And mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, it's sitting in your house or your shed and um, running the risk of, you know, some someone or a pet or something coming into contact with it. And it's just completely unnecessary if you yeah. just check it, check the label before you buy something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also a few other things to think of is there are important instructions on storing your pesticides. So again, if you're buying something for your backyard for weeds or the farmers all know this, our applicators know this because they have mm -hmm. to learn this training, um, but you need to read it before you store it or dispose of it or transport it because on the label it has specific instructions. If you store it in a room that's going to freeze, you're going to turn 120 degrees. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that will cause the active ingredient, um, the thing that you want to control the pest to no longer be as effective as it would have been. So it's really important to make sure you're storing it at the right temperature and in the right kind of location uh, because chemicals degrade over time and you don't want to have spent 20 or $30 on something, then ruin it and not be able to use it. And then if you go out and start spraying something that's not as effective, you run the risk of creating populations that can tolerate being sprayed with it. So um, that's really important to read before you store. And I mentioned earlier um, that the EPA is constantly on this cycle of reevaluating all these pesticides that are on the market to reassess, make sure that they didn't miss anything. Is there new data that can better inform their risk assessments? And so mm -hmm. over time, those, those assessments can change. And um, so even if someone has been out there buying the same product for 20 or 30 years to use on their lawn or whatever, um, they could go buy a new bottle and, the label may have changed and without warning. And so it's really yeah. important to just double check that every time you use it, just to make sure you're catching all those things. Mm -hmm. that they so, Well, I want to add, even if it has the same name. So I mentioned seven earlier, seven isn't always the same active ingredient either. Yeah. It's all labeled as seven, but it may not be the same chemical in it. It's just a brand name. And so at that point, you might not even be buying the right product for what you want to control. 
So that's a really important factor. Uh, Roundup, Roundup isn't just 2,4-D or glyphosate or any of those. It's, it's a, there's multiple different types of Roundup. They're not all just one specific chemical. So that's another one that has a specific brand name, but a lot of different products on the market. Can be incredibly confusing for people. Yeah. If you don't feel comfortable reading the label, then you should find someone else to apply those pesticides for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to harm yourself. You don't want to harm the people around you or the environment around you. So Yeah, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to, to hire a professional. Yeah. They're trained. They literally go through a full day of training to be able to apply to your lawn. So those lawn care companies, they go through a lot of training mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully that's where, you know, some of the education from programs like ours can come in to help educate people on how to read the label. We actually have a section on our website. My next question is, why shouldn't you transfer pesticides out of their original packaging? So it, on December 6th of 2021, a child died from drinking pesticides in a water bottle. That was a year ago. Oh my. So you should not transfer pesticides out of their original container because sometimes they look like soft drinks. They're weird colors. I mean, and if you look at all the Mountain Dew colors right now, they've got like <laughs> neon green so it should never be transferred into anything else because of that risk alone. But another point to this is that, yes, it can kill people. And it still happens on a regular basis that people die from pesticide consumption because of that. But putting it into a new container um, can um, um, it can potentially cause an interaction that can make your pesticide more toxic, less toxic. Uh, it could potentially cause the, the chemical to leach through the container and then you're contaminated every time you touch the bottle. It's just really not worth the risk. Um, the only time you would ever put a chemical into something that's not the uh, container is when you're adding it to a tank and spraying it that same time, all right? We, we don't ever want to store it in anything that's not the original container. Mm -hmm. It's really sad that people still do transfer those liquids and people die. <laughs> yeah. So the pesticide registrants have to get their containers approved um, so that, yeah. you know, everybody is sure that the material that the container is made of um, is able to, is basically compatible with whatever you're putting in it. And so they have that check there, but if you're pouring it into something else, like a pop bottle or a water bottle or whatever, mm -hmm. that hasn't been approved, you know, I mean, it, it's not necessarily made of the same kind of plastic. Or, yeah. So that kind of goes to what Jennifer was saying about leaching and interactions with that, that material. And so. So you don't want to ever change the toxicity of your pesticide on accident because that can that can be when really bad situations occur and you hurt yourself or you hurt the environment or you cause resistant populations. Definitely. Anything else about understanding the label before we move on to our last section? If you don't know what to do with the label, you can call your state piece up. There is somebody in every state that you can call. Just look up pesticide safety and I guarantee I guarantee you'll find somebody. And if you can't find someone, you can call us and we'll help you find that person. There are resources out there. Definitely. Yeah. 
it might be helpful for some people to think of it like a prescription almost. Mm, yeah, um, good thought. Like you wouldn't take a prescription medication without reading the directions and, you know, don't take more than this amount, you know, all those things. Yeah, that's a good I perspective on that. I haven't thought of that. Um, moving on, I'm going to ask you guys to touch on organic farming versus synthetic farming, organic pesticides. One of the biggest things people need to know about organic pesticides, organic in general, is that it doesn't mean safe. Organic doesn't mean safe. Synthetic doesn't mean hazardous. All it means, organic essentially means it's naturally occurring, and synthetic means that it was designed in a laboratory. Often, synthetic pesticides are actually designed to mimic what the naturally occurring organic pesticide would do. Um, so one of the examples I always give is nicotine. Uh, a lot of people know people know that tobacco has nicotine in it um, and neonicotinoids, which are on the market as an insecticide. A lot of people know about neonicotinoids because they're in the news for pollinators right now. But nicotine is... 50 times more toxic than one of the most commonly found neonicotinoids on the market. So nicotine is a considerably more dangerous, less selective pesticide than neonicotinoids are. So when people think about organic, they have to understand that typically the synthetic versions are designed to be very selective, which means they're very specific to a certain pest and they're designed to be a more controlled level of toxicity. Uh, one of the comparisons I've made to people is that if you've ever bought a, ha a jalapeno pepper and it's been so spicy, you ended up crying. And then the next day you went back and bought more and you couldn't taste the spice at all. With naturally occurring products, we, you don't have a lot of control of the levels of chemical within them because that's just how they change and grow. It's dependent on their environment. Um, it's dependent on their exposure to sunlight, water, nutrients, et cetera. So that is essentially why synthetic pesticides were originally designed um, was to be a more selective product, mm -hmm. typically more, more less consistent, consistent. Thank you. Mm. Um, also organic farming is not pesticide free. Um, that is not what that means. It means they use natural products. So they'll use things like copper, um, nicotine's illegal to use. So nobody, use, nobody should be using nicotine. Heavy metals are very common in organic farming. So that's, that's one of the important things about it. Um, so anything on the organic uh, pesticide list that's approved is essentially used in organic farming to manage pests because they still have the same pests that our, our traditional farming uh, applicators have. They just have to use natural products instead of synthetic. I mean, it, I, I think I got that point across pretty well. Yeah. 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 So they, you know, organic producers um, put a lot more time and money into their inputs and, you know, more labor intensive um, IPM practices, maybe to keep control of their pests. And um, so uh, all of that basically translates into being able to charge more for their end product, right? So organic produce in the grocery store costs more than conventionally grown produce. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess my biggest 
takeaway from it is always that there's a place for both of them in the marketplace. Um, and there doesn't really need to be antagonism between them, I guess. Not that I necessarily think there is by the producers themselves, but it's just some of the uh, perceptions, I guess, of the public yeah. sometimes. Just consumers should be aware of what it really means to be organic mm -hmm. produce. And um, if they still want to partake in that and go that route, then more power to them, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do think that that's a really good point that they should understand. Um, much like understanding pesticide labels, it's important to understand food labels and what terms mean. Mm -hmm. um, organic, non-GMO, all of those are hot button words that are on your food label. But it's really important to go in and try to understand what that actually means for you as a consumer when you're out buying a product. Um, yeah. Because it's it's often a misunderstood concept yeah especially organic and non-gmo those two are very misunderstood words i was gonna say um i think you guys kind of touched this but if there's any other misconceptions people have or people things people should know about about them i would maybe add that uh it's actually kind of crazy that if if you want to start an organic um farm you have to be pesticide pesticide free for three years mm -hmm. um before you can you know qualify as organic and so i mean just think about that waiting three whole years um before you can even qualify as organic and then you can maybe start selling your produce yeah. synthetic pesticide free synthetic pesticide free yes not organic pesticide they can still use organic products yes in their practice for those three years um and so one thing that like for our conventional pesticide applicators to be aware of is if they've got a organic production next door or down the street and you they drift on that production it could completely ruin their organic certification. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. And it's already cost them a lot of time and money and effort just to get there in the first place. And so something like that can really be devastating. And so it's just one of those examples of, for one thing, adopting tools like FieldWatch is very important. Um, and also just being neighborly and understanding where other people are coming from and um just trying to bridge that knowledge gap i guess so yeah yeah they're all just trying to help feed the world so yeah i think that that's a really good point about field watch so it's a lot of time and effort to become an organic farmer and that is why their products do cost for there's a lot of investment that those farmers have to do to go that route so mm -hmm. definitely part of why it's so much more expensive i i do want to add though um on the topic of farming types because yeah. gmos can be used as an alternative to pesticides so they are a type of plant that has over time been bred and to be resistant to drought or to be resistant to 
specific insects, for example, BT corn. Um, Psyllis thuringiensis is something that can help manage different pest populations. And that's what that corn is grown for. It's mm -hmm. grown to be able to resist that. Um, so I, I do think those are important to bring in because they exist and they have a place in the world of growing food. Um, I also want to add that there, there's only 11 GMO crops on the market at this point. Um, so falling back on that, knowing how to read the label and knowing what it means. Um, a lot of products will say non-GMO, but there's not a GMO version of that specific plant. So yeah. I would just make sure you read up and understand what GMO is because um, there are a lot of circumstances where there's not a GMO version of it. So it's not really a very fair marketing tool, in my opinion. I just want people to know mm -hmm. about it because it's important to know because they charge you more for non-GMO, but if there's yeah. not a GMO version, then... You just and charge it more for nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And they can get away with it because it's technically not GMO, but there's not a GMO version of that product. So... Yeah. I, I would just say that GMO is kind of often seen as a dirty word or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's very misunderstood. Very, yeah. very much so. Um, I think it is a great alternative to pesticides in a lot of circumstances. So. Right. It can go a long way to, to reducing that stuff. And um, yeah, it just goes back to kind of what we were maybe talking about toward the beginning of just, I mean, it's, first of all, we've been genetically modifying stuff for centuries it goes back to feeding the world and in a perfect world maybe you wouldn't need uh human modified plants and animals and things mm -hmm. but um here we are so. yeah there's yeah. just no way to do it another way at this point mm -hmm. um, i know that there are people working toward better solutions like urban farming and yeah. rooftop farming stuff like that um, but this is kind of where the world is at right now. Yeah. It's another tool in our toolbox to feed yeah. everyone. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, it really is. So yeah. Thanks for letting us do the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to meet with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks to all you listeners out there. I appreciate your continued support. Please like and leave a comment. Um, it's been great doing this podcast and hopefully educating some people about different pesticide safety issues. And I hope you all learned a lot. Thank you. Bye.